It's great to be with you today as we gather online and ask God to challenge us and change us and shape us and transform us with his word. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here at Cedar Mill. And today we are launching in to a brand new series where we will eventually journey all the way through the book of 1 Corinthians. And all week I wrestled with this message. Should I preach it this week or should I push it back one more week and give another message that God had sort of laid on my heart. And in the end, after talking to some of my spiritual advisors and taking counsel from Pastor Carl Palmer and Pastor John Johnson and Pastor Paul Richter, I decided I'm gonna move forward with Corinthians. And friends, God is so faithful His word is so relevant. It's timeless, it's prophetic, it's true. And as it says in 2 Timothy, it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. It never fails us. Today, in just the first three introductory verses of 1 Corinthians, I believe God has a message for his church. I believe God has a message for evangelical Bible-believing Christians. I believe God has a message today for you and for me. So open your Bibles with me if you have them to 1 Corinthians. It's about halfway through the New Testament. We're gonna be in chapter one. We're gonna dive right in the first three verses of this wonderful letter. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. As we dive in today, Paul is writing a letter to the church in Corinth. And this is a church that Paul knew well. He started it. He formed it. He spent a year and a half in this city preaching the gospel and making disciples and getting this church started. But now, as Paul writes, he's moved on. And he writes this letter because he's been hearing some things. He's been getting some reports that this church, that this group of people following Jesus is off track. And yet for the first nine verses of this letter, we're going to look at the first three today, the next six next week. But in these first verses, Paul opens up and he seems to be so nice. He starts off and as you read, you think, man, he is really being warm and friendly and encouraging to these people. And yet, and yet, real soon, In right about verse 10 and forward for the next 16 chapters of this letter, Paul is going to spend most of his time challenging, correcting, and even rebuking this church for thinking and living that does not line up with who they are in Jesus Christ. In fact, the way this book lays out is there are a number of sections And each section sort of looks at a theme, an issue that this church is facing. And Paul will offer correction for them. He'll offer challenge and rebuke. He'll say, you're not living and thinking in light of the gospel. And in these first four chapters, the primary issue Paul is concerned with is the issue of division. Divisions in the church, divisions in the body of Christ, 
disunity, hostility. And Paul says, this is not how you should live. This is why this first series as we go through 1 Corinthians is called Undivided because Paul is gonna challenge us to live as gospel people in unity together in the church. In the next section, chapters five through seven, Paul's gonna talk about sex. That's gonna be a really fun section. And he'll call us to see our sexuality through the lens of the gospel. I do not yet have a title for that series, so you can pray for me. But, but here's the point. This letter is a continual calling and correction and challenge to the church to live lives fueled by the gospel. And yet, Paul starts off so nice. Let me suggest this to you today. Paul is setting us up. This, this opening section, this opening sweetness from him is sort of like the, the soft jab that he throws right before he comes right behind it with a, a real strong uppercut. Here's what Paul is doing. He's reminding the church of who we are, of who we are in Christ, of who we're called to be, so that then he can come back to us and say for 16 chapters, why are you not living in alignment with who you are? It's a challenge. It's a rebuke. It reminds me of when I was a youth pastor and there was a, a kid in my youth group. He was a junior. His name was Brian Bourne. Brian, if you're out there watching, good to see you. Thanks for tuning in. Brian, when he was a junior in high school, was a leader in our youth group. He was a great kid. Um, he loved the Lord. He had strong character, a lot of leadership skills, really helped the other students. And then this one mission trip we took, he really got interested in this girl and it caused Brian to, to make some bad decisions. And I remember sitting down with Brian and I didn't say, Brian, you're a terrible kid. You're a bad kid. Why are you such an awful person? I said, Brian, you're a great kid. You're a leader. You love God. You love to walk with Jesus. Now, now, here's what I need you to do. Start living that way. Start acting that way. Live in a line with who you are. That's what Paul is saying to the church. That's what he's doing in these opening verses. So do not be lulled to sleep by the, the, the opening niceness of Paul's letter. He begins the letter this way. He says, Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. He says real clearly, I am an apostle. And his readers, they knew exactly what he's saying. In the Greek, the word is apostolos. And in the Jewish community, how it would work is often a, a group of, of followers, a group of Jews would have an issue. They'd have a struggle. They'd have a problem. They'd have a, they'd have a challenge. And they would send that challenge to the Sanhedrin, the highest ruling spiritual court in the land. And the Sanhedrin would make a ruling. They would make a decision about the issue that this group of followers was having. And then they would send their decision back. They would send their, their truth and their ruling back to that group. And to deliver that truth they would send a person who was called an apostolos. That's what Paul says here. He says, I am an apostolos of Christ Jesus by the will of God. I am the one who's come, not just with my thoughts, not just with my opinions, but with God's truth for you. Paul reminds them of this. He reminds them that they are under spiritual authority his spiritual authority. You see, Corinth was a city 
much like the city we live in, with a culture much like the culture that we live in. And they embraced a lot of the same things that we do. First of all, Corinth was in Greece. It was right in the middle of the Greco-Roman Empire in a very strategic place, right in the middle of the world's superpower of the day. If you can picture Greece, it is pretty much divided up into two halves. There's Northern Greece that's attached to mainland Europe. And then there's, there's Southern Greece that sort of floats almost like an island right out in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. And the only thing connecting Northern Greece and Southern Greece is a, a real small strip of land, a little land bridge called an isthmus. This little bridge of land that runs between northern and southern Greece. And in case, and in this case, in Greece, that land bridge is only four miles wide. And right in the middle of that little isthmus lies the city of Corinth. Now, what this meant for Corinth was simply this. In the ancient world, it was a huge trading center. Everything flowing from northern Greece to southern Greece and southern Greece to northern Greece went right through the city of Corinth. Furthermore, it was a huge shipping town. It was a place where sailors and ships would come to port. Ships from the, from the Middle East bringing goods all the way from Asia would come to port and transfer their goods to ships coming all the way back and forth from Europe. So you can imagine the amount of energy and trade and movement in this city. And because of all this trade, because of all this economic activity, Corinth had become a melting pot. People literally from all over the world and with all these different people from all these different places and all these different backgrounds and all these different life philosophies came a lot of different moral and religious ideologies. And with all these different ideologies came this overarching idea throughout all of Greece, but specifically in the city of Corinth, that everyone should just do what's right in their own eyes. They should decide for themselves what is true and what isn't true. That they should decide what right living looks like all on their own. And this sort of thinking had started to permeate the church. As we'll discover, many in this church had decided that they would be the spiritual authorities of their own lives. That they would decide what was right and wrong for them. How they should live for themselves. And friends, this way of thinking and living is actually very familiar for us as Americans, even as American Christians. But it's not how the scriptures call us to live in the church. What the scriptures say is submit to the Lord. And one of the ways that we submit to the Lord, that we surrender to his authority is by submitting to the spiritual authorities that the Lord puts in our lives. Now, some of you don't like this already. Some of you are already going like, I don't like that. Doesn't sound good. I'm out. Um, I'm not in on that. But listen, before you write me off, if you're someone who values the scriptures, listen, this is Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Another letter written to the church. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden for that would be of no benefit to you. Friends, can I tell you that I, I fight to live my life this way? I'm, I'm not always perfect. I'm just like you. I'm independent. I'm opinionated. I don't like people telling me what to do or what to think, but I am under the spiritual authority of the elders of our church. 
This means that if they come to me and say, Dave, there's some things in your life that need attention. Dave, there's a decision that we've discussed and we've prayed about and we really believe that the church needs to go in this direction or take this action. I might have questions. I might have pushback. I might disagree. But ultimately, here's the reality for me. I submit to these people that God has put in spiritual authority over me. I submit even when I disagree. That's the definition of submission. I submit even when I disagree, unless we're talking about matters of core doctrinal issue. You see, part of the issue for us is the same issue the Corinthian church had, and it's this. We forget that we are people under spiritual authority. We want to do our own thing. We want to live our own lives. And it's not that we can't push back or ask questions or disagree. I'm not talking about the elders coming over to your house and approving what you can have for dinner. I'm not talking about them approving or okaying the movies you can or cannot watch, the shows you can tune into on Netflix or Hulu. That's going to be between you and the Holy Spirit. But I am talking about us living under spiritual authority for our own good. I'm talking about the elders have made a decision for our church. And so I am going to be with them. I'm going to submit to them. I am going to support them. I'm talking about if the elders have a concern about my life, then I'm going to come humbly and open-hearted and I'm going to listen. That's our calling. It's the calling Paul reminds the Corinthians of. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And then he says, and our brother Sosthenes. And our brother Sosthenes. Real quick on this. If you read Acts chapter 18, which is the story of Paul coming to Corinth and starting this church, what you'll discover is this. Paul shows up, he shows up in town, he doesn't know anybody. He goes to the synagogue, he begins to preach the gospel. He meets some people. He establishes some community. He keeps on preaching the gospel. Eventually they oppose him. Eventually the synagogue leaders oppose him and they throw him out. Paul says, fine, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna preach to the Gentiles then. And in that process, in that process of Paul leaving the synagogue and preaching to the Gentiles, the synagogue leader, a guy by the name of Crispus, becomes a follower of Jesus. It's an amazing story. So so the Jews... What do they do? They appoint a new synagogue leader. And then they drag Paul into court and this new synagogue leader offers evidence, tries to make a case that Paul is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. But the authorities, they don't buy it. They dismiss the whole thing. And the Jews are so mad. They are so upset that this new synagogue leader did not make a strong enough case to get Paul in trouble. You know what they do? They beat him. The Jews beat this new synagogue leader. Does anyone even have a guess at what the name of that synagogue leader was? Sosthenes. The guy who once drugged Paul into court and accused him is now co-signing this letter. And I don't know what happened between Paul and Sosthenes, between Acts chapter 18 and 1 Corinthians chapter 1, but I do know this. Paul must have loved him extravagantly. 
Paul must have engaged him inclusively. Paul must have prayed for him constantly. Paul must have trusted God so radically that he was willing to continue to share the gospel with this man. Friends, more than ever in our world right now, hear me on this, we must be careful not to demonize people, not to write people off, not to make them our enemies because the gospel friends, and we see it right here, has the power to make even our greatest enemies, those who will one day stand with us for Jesus. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. What a story, what a testimony. Verse two, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Paul says, to the church of God in Corinth, You'll remember earlier I said I had a message today for, for the church, for Bible-believing evangelicals. And I don't know if some of you got defensive when I said that. I have a, I have a, I have a message for Bible-believing evangelicals. And, and you're thinking to yourself, well, 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 if God has a message for me, well, what about them? Why does God just have a message for us? Why doesn't God have a message for, for those people? God must have a message for those people, whoever those people are for you. But friends, the reason I say that is because this letter, this passage is not written to those people. This passage, this letter is written to the church. He addresses this to us. See, the challenge here is not for the city of Corinth, although there will be a challenge for the city of Corinth if they will listen in. The challenge is for the church of Christ. And Paul's call is for us, the church, to remember that we're sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. The word he uses here is the Greek word hagios. It means saint. It means holy one. It means set apart from the world. It means even though we live in the world and are part of this culture, we do not mirror culture in the way we speak and live and act and respond we're followers of Jesus. And notice again that Paul is here pulling them out of their individual thinking, their individuality. He's reminding them, you are part of something bigger. You're part of something more. You're part of the church. And it's a church that starts in Corinth, but it doesn't end there. It goes around the world. He says to the church of God in Corinth, and then together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. See how big this gets. He's saying, you're not just individual Jesus followers. You're not just a, a, a one church in one city. You're part of the larger family of God around the nation, around the region, around the globe. In other words, remember when you speak and when you act and when you post online, you do not just represent yourself. You are now a part of the larger family. And that can be hard because Sometimes I don't want to be associated with you or, or them. And sometimes you don't want to be associated with me. But friends, that's just how it is when you're family, when you're part of the body of Christ. And sometimes that means that I have to apologize and make corrections for my brothers and sisters when they get off track. You know, one of the things I, I've noticed about Jesus as I've read the gospels 
is that he's often so full of grace when he confronts sin. He doesn't, he doesn't excuse it. He doesn't tolerate it, but he's graceful in confronting it. Do you see this about Jesus? Do you notice this about him? But you know when Jesus is the most sharp? Have you ever noticed when Jesus is the most direct, when he's most filled with righteous anger? It's when people are sinning in the name of God. It's when people are using God's name to promote their sinful actions and agenda. Think of the Pharisees, the religious leader. How stern is Jesus with them? Just normal, everyday, average sinners, people out there in the world, people far from God sinning. He, you know, he's gracious, he's gentle, he's kind. But with these religious leaders, he says, you blind guides, you fools, you serpents, you hypocrites, you brood of vipers, you whitewashed tombs. I think of Jesus in the temple turning over tables. People love to quote this verse. This is the most often misused verse in the entire history of scripture because the context of this verse is, do you know why Jesus was angry? He's angry because religious leaders and vendors are taking advantage of the, of the poor by hiking up the prices on sacrifices so that they can make money in the name of God on the backs of people who can't afford it. And that infuriates Jesus. You see, Jesus is especially concerned with people who do evil and tote the name of God while doing it. Friends, we are part of the church, the family, the bride of Christ. And so when people do things like storm the Capitol, holding crosses and Jesus saves signs while building gallows and waving Confederate flags, no matter what political persuasion we hold, we had better not make excuses for them and instead say, no, this is not who we are. That is not who our God is. And that is not how he calls his followers to behave. We just have to be honest with ourselves. You see, right now in our world, there's, there's a lot of, well, well, they did this and they did that. And well, if you're gonna accuse me of this thing, well, then you better point the finger at them for that thing. And I'll quote Pastor Matt Chandler, who very theologically said this last week, can we stop acting like middle schoolers? Can we be a bit more mature than that? in the church? Can we stop pointing the finger at everybody else's sin out there and pause and take a long look at our own? Because last I checked, this is exactly what Jesus calls us to do in the gospels, doesn't he? Something about a speck and a plank. He says, be more concerned with your sin than the sins of others. Church, look at yourself. Now, does this mean that we never have a prophetic truth-telling voice that challenges the thinking of the world? No, of course we do. We are certainly called to that. And if you don't think so, then just stay with us through this journey through 1 Corinthians, because I promise every single one of us will have our, our opinions challenged and our feelings poked at and our ideals rerouted by what Paul has to say to us, what God has to say to us through this letter. As I, read from, as I read from Pastor John Johnson this week, he said this, in this letter, Paul is straightforward 
at times gentle, other times severe, but he is not intimidated because God is not shy when it comes to confronting our lives and practices when they run contrary to the cross of Jesus Christ. He's not shy. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified, called apart in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy, set-apart people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. And then our last verse for today, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Many of you know this is Paul's standard salutation. This is how he begins most of his letters. And yet I do believe these words have a special meaning for what he is about to say in 1 Corinthians. Again, Paul is about to hit this church with massive correction and challenge. He's about to speak truth, sometimes really hard truth to this body. So how can he say grace and peace to you? And then like hit him over the head. Friends, here's what we often forget. Here's what I often forget. Truth, even hard truth, when it's offered to people in love and for their benefit, is grace. Truth, even hard truth, when it's offered to people in love and for their benefit, is grace. You see, in this letter, Paul is saying, even though you don't deserve it, even though in the flesh, I'm tempted to just write you off and say, fine, think and believe whatever you want. Live and act however you want. We'll see how it goes for you. You ever think that? Someone disagrees with you when they want to press into something, you say, fine, just, or or maybe for you, it's this. I am going to tell you the truth, but the reality is underneath my truth, there's this attitude of, I'm going to show you, the, show you the truth, tell you the truth to reveal how stupid you are and how right I am. You see, there is a condemning non-gracious truth. And there's a lot of that kind of truth in our world right now. But this truth, the truth offered by Paul to the church in 1 Corinthians is motivated by a deep love for these people. It's offered for their benefit. And I believe it's offered for your benefit and for my benefit. So Paul can honestly say, grace to you and peace. You know, peace is not simply the absence of conflict. We're not called as Christians to be conflict avoiders. Peace in the scriptures is a state of things being right. When things are the way they are supposed to be, there's peace. Peace comes when we, by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us, are being and becoming the people God longs for us to be. And Paul says, the reason I am writing you this letter, the reason I am graciously offering you this truth is because I long for you to know the peace of thinking and living and walking in alignment with the good news of Jesus Christ. Because at the end of that road is a peace like you'll never find in this world. Friends, that is what Paul longs for the Corinthian church. And it is what I long for you and me and our church as well. That we'd not only know the grace and peace of being saved by Jesus, but that we would know the grace and peace of aligning our lives together in allegiance to Jesus. That's my prayer. And that's what our journey through the book of 1 Corinthians will be all about. Lining up our lives with the gospel that we might be people of grace and peace. Amen.